Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer podcast. I'm so happy you are here with me today um, because I have the most incredible guest on the show today. Words cannot describe my level of excitement for this episode. It's been a long time coming. Uh, I've been wanting to, to do an episode on this for a long time and finally found the right person to do it. So today's episode is a long one, but it is a good one. So stick around. I promise it's worth it. Um, And real quick, before we get into the episode, I did want to say doors are open for pre-registration for the Overnight Trainer Group Coaching Program, cohort number two. So if you are looking to get your dream job in learning and development, this is the program for you. It is eight weeks, it's group coaching. So once a week, we all get together um, where there is hot seat coaching. So I, uh, any problems, challenges that you have that week, you get one coaching, essentially one-on-one coaching with me, except everyone else is there. Uh, you also get access to modules, to templates, uh, to basically everything that I give my one-on-one clients, um, but within a group setting. So that is open for registration. The link to register is in the show notes. Um, you can also go to the overnighttrainer.com slash work dash with dash me. Um, and in the group coaching section, you can click register. So that will start uh, next month, uh, date to be determined, uh, but it'll start next month. Uh, it'll be a countdown shortly, but you can go ahead and get pre-registered for that starting uh, in August. So can't wait for that. All right, on to today's show. Please, please, please join me in welcoming Dr. Lynn Johnson to our podcast and to our family and to our community. Lynn is a talent strategist and a DEI consultant who specializes in diversity and inclusion, strategic planning, business coaching, and training and development. She has spent over 20 years uh, in management, human resources, both in corporate and academic arenas, and owns her own company called Triumphant HR Solutions, where she works with clients to determine really the best needs of achieving high levels of performance for their organization, while also developing competent, committed employees with the goal of creating best places to work. Dr. Lynn Johnson, welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast. How are you? I am doing great, Sarah. How are you? I I'm so good. I am. I know we pushed this back a week, and I was bummed to do it, but I had to go celebrate my celebrate my mom's birthday. But I, you know, you and I chatted 
I guess a little over a month ago now, and I was desperately wanting to do a podcast on this episode for so long. And I was struggling because I never really found the right person to talk to who had kind of that lens or that vision into the DEI world and the L&D world. I think there's a lot of people who are super, super skilled at DEI and super, super skilled at L&D. Um, and while they overlap, there's not a lot of people who have both of those skills. And so when I found you, I don't even remember how, I think you commented on something and I was like, who is she? I need to know her. And so I'm so, so, so happy to have you on the show today to be able to chat with us about the intersectionality between learning and development and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really how learning and development can support those efforts and the DEI efforts organizationally. Because I think a lot of people struggle with how can I help or how can I make my learning programs more inclusive? So I, I just can't wait to dive into all the questions and even some questions from outside you know, that people had because they were so excited to have you on. So before we dive deep into all of that, let's talk about you. you know, who is Dr. Lynn Johnson? Who are you? Your, tell us about your journey, how you found yourself in the role you are today. I, our listeners would love to know, you know about who you are. Well, first, I just want to say thank you, Sarah, for um, allowing me this opportunity to talk with you today about the thing that I love most, which is learning and development. Um, I am a true lifelong learner. Um, there has been so many experiences that I've had in my life that has prepared me for the moment that I am in right now. And I just, for one, just am thankful for uh, people like yourself who just uh, look for ways to connect with people and give them the information that they need in order to be successful, not just in life, in their own personal lives, but as well as uh, their business. And so, oh gosh, I there's so much that that I could say, you know, about who I am. And you, of course, you said Dr. Lynn Johnson, but I'm all I'm always the one that says, hey, I'm not one for titles, you know, yeah, that's just something that I've, I've obtained over the years in my quest to be this lifelong learner, but I'm just simply me, right? I come from a very humble uh, background. I've been through so much, you know, in life. Um, my, uh, my upbringing was not the best, you know, um, and I like to tell people a little bit about who I am personally, because I believe our life experiences kind of uh, create the path of where we end up, right? And, you know, so coming from uh, being raised, you know, uh, in the project, um, not being raised by my mother, not being raised by my father, um, just having a background that was just not the best, you know, um, I found solace in learning. You know, um, one would say that, um, you know, where do you find your place in that type of upbringing? And um, I think that um, so many ups and downs that I've had growing up, I really probably would not have seen myself where I am today, someone who can be called Dr. Johnson. I like to joke with my students um, because I am also a professor and we'll get into that in a minute, but I always joke with them um, about um, barely making it out of high school, you know, um, being that one 
that only did just enough to get by, you know, but um, I think that was for my making. I, I don't know if that makes sense to anyone, but I think that was uh, for my making because if I had not gone through that type of experience um, when I was in school, in high school, um, I don't think I would appreciate learning as much as I do because I almost didn't make it, right? I almost didn't make it. And so that's why I have this love for learning and this love for helping people. And so when, um, when I left high school, I went to work for one of the largest insurance companies, a Fortune 500 insurance company. And I started at the bottom. I worked my way up. Um, I worked there for 15 years. And in the span of that 15 years, I worked in underwriting. And then that was too boring because I am not a, um, <laughs> Sarah, I am not a boring person. And so that was a little too boring for me. And so I wanted to highlight. So I transitioned into claims because there was a whole lot more going on over in claims than in underwriting. And I fell in love with claims and I became, um, I worked my way up from support supervisor, uh, claims, claims support, uh, services support. So I was a support person. Then I became a claims rep or a claims adjuster, however you want to say it. Then I became a, a claim support supervisor. I became that go-to person that when people had questions, they would always come to me. Um, and I did all of that, you know, while I was working for this insurance company. And it really, that is being in claims and learning my job so well, kind of really sparked how I got into tra uh, training, uh, learning and development, you might say, you know, because I was that go-to person. And so I was able to train my fellow um, employees and talk to people coming in. And there was just so much that I was able to do from that experience. And then I kind of transitioned out of that career. Um, so many things happen and you'll learn as we go through uh, the rest of the podcast today, but I kind of transitioned out of that um, role for a lot of reasons. And I totally switched careers. And this is probably that thing, Sarah, that's just like, oh my God, who really does this? So I left from um, working for this insurance company, working my way up, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to be the next manager, the next VP of claims. That's the route I was headed on. But then I took a total turn and I have been a professor of business now for 11 years. And my true passion of training, of learning, of teaching just flourished. Um, as a professor. And I transitioned into the chair of the business department. So that allowed me to see, um, oversee all students. And when I say all students, I mean traditional on-campus students, as well as our online students, both in undergraduate and graduate level. So that's a lot of students. That's students. That's a lot of curriculum. Wow. Because in business, we have so many different facets to business. Now, I'm not saying I'm an expert in all facets, but you have to oversee and you have to work with the experts in order to uh, make sure that your students are getting the education that they need. And so in this role, I became an instructional designer. Who would have thought, right? So I became <laughs> an instructional designer as well. I created learning materials um, for my students. Um, content creations, actually going and, and taking the information and putting it into the online environment. I have done 
all of that for entire degree programs. I've been able to design programs for small business owners who I've just had conversations with and say, hey, you know, I, I have this book and I'm good at what I do, but I don't know how to put it, you know, in, in a way where people can learn from it. You know, I want to be able to offer it to people online. So I've had the opportunity to create online courses for business owners. And then I started my own business. Then Triumphant HR Solutions was born, right? A few, a couple of years ago, it was born. And Triumphant is special to me because I'm able to, um, I'm able to embark on another passion that I have because of my upbringing and because of the experiences that I have. And that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I created Triumphant or I started Triumphant um, to be a company that focuses on really talent retention. And how do we focus on talent retention at Triumphant is by really helping companies provide the best training and development. And we emphasize diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, leadership as well, that's a part of what we do as well. But I believe that the development of employees is a big part of employee retention. And Again, one of the reasons why I left corporate is because of some experiences that I underwent. And it has a lot to do with DE&I and how I felt as an employee, um, as a black woman. Um, There's certain things that happened that I felt was because of the work culture. And I really felt, feel as though um, companies need to be educated on how to really keep their best talent because they lost someone. Now, I'm not saying I'm the best thing since sliced bread, Sarah, but what I am- I think you are, but that's okay. <laughs> well, what I am saying is I believe they missed out. But how many people do companies miss out on, right? Yeah. When, when they are not really making them feel inclusive, when they're not developing them to their full potential, what are they missing out on? And so- that's why I started Triumphant to, to merge all of the things that I love, HR, learning and development, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's how I got to where I'm at today. I love that. I mean, so many things stood out to me, but two, two things, and I jotted it down while you were talking, two things. I first, I loved so much how you talked about in the beginning, you know, told your personal story. And I... I think you're the first person on the show to, to really dive into that. And it's so important, especially when you think about it in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's that the, our, our personal stories shape how we view the world. Exactly. And so I find it so thank you so much for sharing that because we all have different experiences, which shape how we show up to this podcast, which shape how we show up to work every day, which shape how, you know, how we show up in our relationships. And so it's so important to normalize that, you know, of saying, Hey, like I can tell you about my work journey, but my work journey really started when I was born, <laughs> you exactly. know, all of those decisions that were made for me, right. That you couldn't make yeah. yourself really shaped you into who you are today. So thank you for, for sharing that and for normalizing the fact that it's not just a work journey, it's a life journey. Uh, the second thing you said that really stood out to me too, uh, on a totally different level than, than that was, 
when you had mentioned, you know, being the chair of, of the, the, the business school and the, and the programs. And I loved how you said, I don't know everything. And mm-hmm. that's something that I, you know, I was just talking about it with one of my one-on-one coaching clients yesterday too. I was like, well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert in this an expert in that. And I was like, nowhere on this job description does it say you need to be an expert at it like experience sure like having some experience having a general understanding or knowledge sure but no one's asking you to be an expert and so I think that's such a great you're such a great role model in that sense of being able to be the first one to say I don't know everything but I know where to go for everything and yeah. who to go to for everything. So both of those things really stood out to me, you know, about your story, two totally different things. And, you know, it's such a, such an amazing journey. And, you know, you have such an impressive background and again, like going from claim or underwriting to claims, and then, you know, really deciding that this was a whole new career pivot and journey for you. And, and I love, we kind of already mentioned it, but that you have, the experience in both the world of higher education and on the corporate side. And a lot of people listening to this podcast are transitioning into learning and development. Um, But a lot of people are coming from higher ed. So a lot of clients that are in the higher ed space that are looking to get into corporate L&D. So when you think about higher ed, like corporate L&D, what do you see from a similarities perspective? And then what do you see as major differences? No, Sarah, that's a really great question. And I think I'll start with the differences um, before I get into the similarities. What I see as the biggest difference in uh, higher education and corporate L&D is the educational focus. You know, um, the focus of higher education is basically, you know, teaching basic principles, whereas employee training provides that hands-on, that practical experience, you know, it extends beyond just learning the subject. You know, just, you know, when I look at the two, they actually both highly complement each other, right? But I would classify learning as being, or higher ed as being more theoretical and training being more practical. Um, I always tell my students, especially when I teach, I'm, I'm a huge um, advocate for, yes, I can teach you theory all day. And I tell them this all the time. I can teach you the, the, the theory all day. I can tell you and show you what's in this book, but I am here to tell you that when you leave this institution and go to the workplace, yes, it's gonna help you. It's gonna give you some foundational knowledge, but there is nothing like true practice, right? There's nothing like true practices. You have to be able to take what we're telling you and apply it. And that's what uh, corporate uh, L&D or training is to me. It's that practical hands-on experiences. You know, another difference that I see in higher education um, and when you think about higher education, you think about technology, you think about tailored. In higher education, it's all tailored to the needs of the students right, the needs of the student. The student needs to learn this, so we have to make sure that everything centers around uh, the student itself. You know, before technology became on the scene, right, student learning and education, it was, it was the top priority. Students spent a lot of time learning and building foundational knowledge. 
you know, and higher education, especially if you, if anyone has ever gone through a business program, you come in and the first thing they teach you is introduction to business. Well, why do they do that? Because you have to know the foundation, right? And before you can take the next course, you have to take the prerequisites to get to that course and then so on and so forth until you get to the capstone. And then the capstone brings everything together, right? And you know, we learn in a classroom setting, we have assignments, we have papers, we have exams, we have all of these things. But that is way different from this corporate training that we are involved in and that your listeners are involved in because it's more immediate. It's um, the learning opportunities has to be integrated in the employee's work schedule. Think about uh, when you go to college, you have a 16 week class. Students have all the time they need to learn something. But in a corporate setting, it just does not work that way. I need you to learn this. So and I, need, I need you to learn it so quick, right? And we have to figure out a way as L&D uh, experts or just L&D um, uh, employees is to figure out a way to integrate that in what's going on already at work, right? So most training is focuses on the specific skill set it, and it's, it's just more specific in nature than what we kind of do on the higher education side. And another thing I just want to touch on is time. You know, in the corporate world, we already said it's immediate, it's quick. You come up with a program and it's like, you know what? Um, we need to assign this to employees because we've determined that there is a skill gap here. And so it could take anywhere from uh, a few minutes to a few hours to complete something, a training module, whatever that has been presented to the employee. But like I said, college, it's just longer. The experience is longer. There's di different modes, there's different assignments that happen. Um, and the last thing I really want to focus on, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because we could talk so much on this, but it is the LMS, the Learning Management System. Listen, from creating online courses in higher education, Sarah, to developing online courses for the corporate arena or just for corporation or for small businesses, my main hurdle was the LMS. It is different. Now, despite their differences, of course, they both have some core similarities, right? They allow access to information from anywhere at any time. They have tools where you can create and manage content. It's automated. All of these things are similarities, but the differences is in the, the support for the technology, the integration, how you monitor it, how you administer it in this corporate IT setting, and the focus that it had, there is a total different focus in corporate learning versus what we call academic learning, right? Um, and so I think that learning, no matter whether you, whether you do it in an academic setting or whether you do it in a corporate setting, it is a lifelong process that we've kind of already talked about, but the corporate and the higher education world, I believe are becoming more, how can I say, married to each other. There is a push for these two arenas to come together and partner. And because, why is that important? Is because at the end of the day, the similarity is, or the common goal is, we are all here, L&D, 
higher education or corporate academics, right? To benefit the learner, to benefit the worker, to benefit the institution. And this type of partnership between the university and corporate training officers or learning officers, and there's so many terms for L&D now, I'm telling you. But um, in the end, it's what we're doing is creating an educated workforce. And that's how I see the marriage, right? The marriage taking place between the two is because we all kind of want the same thing. We want, we're trying to, as uh, those in, in higher education, uh, we are challenged with um, educating the workforce and then we're sending them to you. But there has been so much that says, you know what? Corporations have said, but you're not sending them with the skills that we need. So there's a disconnect. And I believe in only the only way to fix that is to take what we love both sides and merge them together and help each other out. You know, more and more universities, Sarah, is incorporating corporate training programs. Even my university, they're offering certifications. They're uh -huh. offering on-the-job um, on training opportunities. I um, have had the opportunity to sit in on a committee that is trying to develop the best type of certifications or the best type of training where, because people, we have to be honest with ourselves, people are shying away from the four hour, the four year degree, the two year degree. They're wanting this quick, these, they want to learn these quick skills so they can get into the workforce. And I believe that universities are now saying, hey, we can come together and I think we can help each other out because at the end of the day, the common goal is that we're here to create an educated workforce. And that's what I think the similarity is. Now, I may have gone all around what you asked, but that's just what I believe, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's great. I love talking about like the marriage between the two. And there is so much that one can learn from the other. And for me, something that really stood out about what you said was how you know, you're educating the workforce, but they're getting to their employer and the employer is saying, well, not educated enough or, you know, not ready enough. And, and I always, I find that so interesting because I find a lot of time in organizations that don't have a strong learning culture that they just expect people to be dropped off at their front door and ready to work. And, you know, and when you talk about higher education being so learner centric, that is something I believe that corporate can really start to borrow. And I was having that conversation with someone this morning where it's like, if it's not about your, of course it has to be about the organization too, right? It's, it, there's a, a, a healthy balance of what, what's the organizational goal. And then what are the changes in the, on the job behavior that need to happen that we need to train people on, but the expectation that corporate America has in general, that someone graduates and shows up and you just magically expect them to know everything. It's just so, it's so asinine to me in a sense. And it just tells me that rather than saying, great, you have this foundational knowledge that you were talking about now, welcome. We are going to take that foundational knowledge and bring you through this onboarding program. That's going to allow you to apply it. It's just like, oh, you have that degree. Like you should already know X, Y, and Z. So I think I think there's, to your point, so many things that can be borrowed back and forth. But one thing I would love 
corporate America and corporate L and D, even L and D professionals, you know, sometimes are, are faulted in this of what does a learner need? Like what being very learner centric, everything being about the learner, because in higher ed, the more people that graduate, like the, you know, it's like, you're looking at those numbers, but that's not looked at necessarily from that lens in, in corporate L and D. So really thinking about, you know, looking holistically at, yes, they learned the foundational knowledge there, but now, now it's our turn. We, now we have them. Uh, I, I, I often too say that it's corporations responsibility to almost like carry the, like to, it's passing the torch along, right? Mm-hmm. It's not saying you crossed the finish line and now you're here. It's that you're passing the higher ed is now passing the torch to corporate and saying, great, now here's your turn to develop them. And like, it's just a torch that keeps getting passed. It, it, it never, it never ends. So I just, I love how you talked about just that it's getting closer and closer. And I'm seeing that too, of, especially as people are transitioning from higher ed into corporate and it's a much more seamless transition for them because they're like, oh, I've already done onboarding. I've already done these corporate programs. So I love, I love how you mentioned that. And, you know, when we talk about more specifically kind of diving into learning and development in the corporate world and kind of getting into the topic of DEI, you know, what would you say would be corporate L&D's role in company DEI initiatives? And kind of on a side note of that, if a company, sadly, has no DEI initiatives, what can L&D from a corporate perspective do on their own to create more diverse, equitable, and inclusive learning experiences? Wow, Sarah, that's a deep question. I would say that that is a very deep question because if you think about it, you know, in response to what has happened, you know, over the last few years, a uh, couple years, right? The social unrest that has taken place that began back in 2020. And, you know, not to say that it wasn't happening before, right? But what has, what happened just sparked, just, it just kind of brought things to the forefront, right? To say, now it's in your face. Now it's time that we do something about it. So you saw organizations, right, scrambling, right, trying to re-examine their company cultures, right, to say, oh my God, is it us? You know, what are we doing? Yes, it is you. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, you are the problem. If you're listening, yes, your company was. No. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? So, you know, is it us? You know, what can we do? Because, you know, we don't want to be the, we don't want to be the one that gets put on, as my kids say, get put on front street. We don't want to be that company, right? So let us make the necessary adjustments that we can. And so you saw a lot of organizations doing this. And I'm telling you, the massive amount of uh, research and articles that is out there is extensive on this topic right now, right? Um, But I believe that learning and development has a significant role to play, a significant role to play now but also in the future. And how do they do this? By learning and understanding the issues first. I think, and this is my opinion, is that this is where a lot of L&D professionals um, lack. What is really the issues that are going on? Do you really know? Do you really understanding? Are you trying to know? You know, are you trying to understand what is actually really happening. Because it's apparent that if you learn and understand the issues, then you can develop plans to promote 
and facilitate change. And I think L&D plays a, can play a major role in that. You know, when L&D is integrated with diversity and equity and inclusion initiatives, it could actually help, right, drive this cultural equity change, right, within these organizations. But the problem is they don't know where to begin, right? It's that question of how do we start? How do we begin, you know? And there's so many things that L&D can do. There's so many things that they can uh, help in some of the ways that you hear people say all the time, um, employee resource groups. You hear people say focus groups, right? When I worked for, um, when I was in corporate, there was a lot of, I was involved in employee resource groups, you know, it, I was, was called the African-American something association, right? And I was a part of that. I had a leadership role in that. And one thing I learned though, is that L&D was not involved. Um, and if they were, they were involved on a, on the level of, do we have one? As long as we have one, we really don't have to be involved in actually doing it. So we just got it, you know, check. We have an employee resource group, but are you using it? Are you using those groups to help you drive change, to help you develop programs? Are you sitting and listening and taking the information and doing something with it, right? I believe that L&D can ensure employees have access to the professional development that they need and advancement opportunities. Because a lot of the reason why companies lose such good talent, especially when it comes to them losing diverse talent, is because they are not being developed. They're not looked upon as um, being, a, not looked upon as um, being able to advance, right, in the company. And another major thing, I was doing a um, DEI certificate program, and one, one common thing that I kept hearing throughout the entire program was amplify the voices, amplify the voices. And I'm like, amplify the voices, what does that mean? It means, are you making sure that people's voices are being heard? And this is a question for L&D, you know, are you ensuring, because think about it, you, L&D is a partner to the organization, right? You ensure that the people that work for the company have what they need in order for them to be successful, which in turn make the company successful, right? So you have to ask yourself, are you really using the voices of the people that you serve? Because L&D serves the people, right? So leveraging, oh, uh, another thing um, is that I believe that L&D's core, core skill, this is, this, what, this is what I believe can, um, L&D can, can definitely do to, um, to help the DEI initiative. Because one thing that L&D has is they have the ability to deliver training on a mass level. And when I say on the mass level, I mean that that's your that's your job as an L and D person is to hey when there is a a, a gap that's noticed whether it's a skill gap or whatever it is you have to say okay now how are we going to push this out to everybody right and so L and D can be that person uh, be that area that can do what they do best roll out massive initiatives massive change be able. To, um, to help, because let's be honest, 
part of what DE and I lack is in that. They, they can't roll it out like uh, an L&D professional can do, right? They need help with that. But so many companies, they don't work together enough to be able to say, DEI doesn't say, hey, you know what? Yeah, we need to do this. And you know what, but they tell L&D, oh, I just want you to do, um, they, they tell L&D what training they want them to do, how they want them to do it. Sometimes they don't even ask their opinion. They say, hey, you know what, we want to do, we, everybody's saying we need to do an unconscious bias training. Can you do, can you do an unconscious bias training for us? You know, but that's, it's just not enough because L&D can do so much more, right? right. L&D can do so much more in ensuring that um, that they help, that they're used to be able to help and benefit the DEI initiatives. And even if one doesn't exist, and I love this part of your question, because a lot of small companies, Sarah, they don't have it, right? Um, and, and, the best, and some large companies. Yeah, that too. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, but the best advice that I could give would be that while you are while you are developing your training programs, do it with DE and I in mind. Do it with diversity, equity, inclusion in mind. Doesn't matter if the company has a specific initiative going on, right? And I know this is on a podcast, but I put my two little quotes up. Some air quotes happening. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean that you still cannot develop programs with this in mind, because at the end of the day, you're trying to keep. You're talented people. You're trying to develop them so that they're successful, giving them the tools that they need in order to be successful. So why can't L&D engage their organization? They can. They can be the one to initiate it, right? They can be the one that says, you know what? How about we include an inclusion, that we have an inclusion strategy in the way that we train, in the way that we develop, right? L&D, I believe, should always, just like HR, should have a seat at the table, right? Mm -hmm. A seat at the table when, um, when they are discussing things, uh, discussing strategies, right? The big picture. I believe that L&D needs to be there because they are a partner to the organization. Um, you know, you, you mentioned something earlier about the onboarding process. This is the way, this is a way that if your company doesn't have a specific DEI initiative, you can review your onboarding experience, right? Um, in most onboarding experiences, it's typical to focus on values, culture, right? During the onboarding, because you're trying to, you know, onboard your employees and make sure that they understand what, what they're expecting when they, um, you know, when they come to work for you. So when you hire new employees, how do you highlight this? How do you highlight diversity, equity, and inclusion in your onboarding process? How do you do it? So we have to think about ways to incorporate diversity and inclusion in our onboarding process. So also another way, and, and I'm just going to make this quick, consider ways to promote it. Yeah. Sometimes we can, as L&D professionals, we can promote diversity and inclusion. We can do this by participating in surveys on employee engagement, but, but not just doing a survey. Sarah, not just checking the box, I did the survey. No, taking that information from the survey and using it and thinking outside of the box because a lot of companies, Sarah, do a lot of surveys. Right. But, but how many companies actually have focus groups? How many companies actually get 
people together in a room and have true conversations with them and actually find out how they're truly feeling. You know, I've worked for one, I've worked for one of all the companies I've worked for. Um, mm-hmm. that was, I think it was very much ahead of its time per se, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, that was very, very focused on bringing groups of people from all over the organization, from diverse backgrounds, like diverse thoughts, bring them together and say, and, and putting them in a room to have uncomfortable, what was uncomfortable conversations to really say, what's going on here? Like what's, you know, what, what are the barriers each one of you are facing? And then to also then be faced with, oh, wow, that's a barrier they're facing that I've never even thought of before. And from an L and D perspective, though, and I think you and I talked about this when we originally talked that, you know, I've been on my, my personal DEI and allyship journey for the last you know, decade now, but it started because I sat in one of those. I was invited to one of those. Um, and I went very reluctantly. I had, I was like, I don't need to be a part of this. Like what, you know, um, and it changed my life. It literally changed my life. And, and I look at it from, from, if I'm looking at it granularly from an L and D perspective, I love how you said that the first, it's like the first piece of it is understanding the issues because I went into that not knowing the issues, but as I've continued to work through that and ended up becoming a facilitator of that type of programming and, and hearing from hundreds of people in our organization, the issues they were facing, it made me so much, a side effect I didn't expect was it made me so much better at my L and D job because I was creating much more inclusive content. I was using much more diverse images, right? Even small things like that, that coming from a privileged place and constantly seeing white people all the time, I never thought, oh, no one looks like me. Everyone looks like me all the time. So to even have those, like, those moments where you think about looking at your decks and who's, who's in this, you know, um, it made me a better facilitator. It made me a better listener. Um, and so I think to your point of like really, truly understanding the issues is so key because without that, it's really, really hard to then look at it from a lens of how do I make it inclusive? If you don't know what the problems are and what the challenges are that people are facing within your organization and globally. And and so I think just, it's, you know, just, going on your own journey is so such an important part of this because it's really hard to, to create that without that baseline understanding of the challenges. So I just, I really love how you brought that up as the first key of like, Hey, know what's going on. Like first and foremost, you just have to come out from under the rock. If you're, if you've been <laughs> under it, like you got to open your eyes and see, see what's going on out there. And just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean that someone else isn't currently experiencing it right now. And you no, know, so it, it makes me, it makes me think so much too about DEI training. And you and I talked about this and mm-hmm. I, I I've written blog articles about it because I get so infuriated for lack of better words of the kind of like we're going to train diversity and I'm doing air quotes now too, Um, (laughs) you know, train diversity. Like here's, here's a diversity training. And, you know, it's kind of a two-part question too, but like, you know, where, where do these training programs go wrong? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Wow. Sarah, here's another one. It's definitely a good question. And we could, that, like you said, um, we could spend all day on this. Um, I too get infuriated. And when I was reading over the question, um, you know, preparing for this podcast, 
you know, I was saying, you know, Lynn, there's so many reasons. It's sad, but there are so yeah. many reasons why. And, you know, what do you think? You know, so I was talking to myself, well, Lynn, what do you think is the major downside, the, 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 down, the downfall of these DEI trainings or these diversity trainings? And I think it's lack, lack of assessment. And the reason why I believe that is because I worked um, with a company, I had conversations with the company and they called me to do um, some diversity training. They already, well, so let me go back. They wanted, they had a conversation with me and they said, hey, this is, this is our problem. This is what we, you know, what we're thinking. Hey, can you put something together for us so we can figure out, you know, how we can fix what's going on? I'm like, hey, that's great. This is what I do. So I developed this whole thing and I say, hey, okay, so we're going to start with the assessment and because we got to find out what's wrong first, you know, before we can go blah, 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 blah. Right, everybody, all L&D people know what I'm talking about. You know, you gotta have the, the training assessment first. And I presented it to them and they said, no, we, we know what we want. Oh. We, we want implicit bias training. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can do that too. You know, I'm not turning anything down, you know, but <laughs> I, I had to explain to them that you have to understand the problem first, right? Um, because one reason is because so many companies try to do the one size fits all diversity training and that just doesn't work. And then another problem stems from, again, something that I mentioned a minute ago is that L&D is not in on these initial DEI conversations, right? to give their input, really? to give their expertise as to, you cannot have DEI conversations without L&D or whoever your training department is in your organization because they have to come together. That's the whole purpose of it, right? So I think it's because they, do, um, they don't do a sufficient assessment prior to the training. They don't kind of um, identify what's the current state of the organization, where they're trying to get to, and how do we actually close the gap? How do we get to what we need? As I said before, um, L&D, we know that needs assessments are very, very critical. We know this. So we use that to help us identify how we can improve. There is no one size fits all. Um, you have to have a clear understanding of the problem. And another way, another thing that I think companies get hung up on is they want to just make people aware of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Give them some knowledge. But that alone doesn't solve the problem, Sarah. It doesn't solve the problem. You said something a minute ago that struck a chord in me that I think my heart kind of leaped. Because you said when you sat in on that focus group, right, you said you was reluctant to go in the first place. But when you went, it changed your life, which My entire turn, life changed, which in turn changed your behavior of how you approached L&D from that standpoint. This is what diversity 
equity and inclusion or just diversity training in general, we have to understand it is to change behavior. It's not just making you aware. It's not just giving you the knowledge. It's nothing if you don't change the behavior. We want, companies should want what happened to Sarah happen for everybody. That we come to this space, we learn what's going on and we see everybody else and what they're dealing with and even what we deal with. And guess what? I want to be different. I want to change. And a one-size-fits-all one program is not going to work. That is why a lot of companies, uh, a lot of companies fail at their training programs. You know, another thing, and then I'm going to let you um, come in here, Sarah, is I found something very interesting in an article that I was reading. And it said that even just mentioning diversity training, even just mentioning it, causes employees to be uneasy mm -hmm. right just like you said I was reluctant you know why am I going to this you know I'm not racist or I don't I'm not biased why am I going to this I used to say I used to say I don't see color exactly. I know I realized how freaking like racist that is to say yeah. but like but <laughs> I, I I literally went into it I I went into it I was like I, people told me going into it. And I think we talked about this, that yeah. when I it went to the, the, we called it a study circle at the time that I would leave feeling guilty for being white. Like that is what I was told going into it, that mm -hmm. I was going to leave feeling guilty for being white. And that was the last thing I felt leaving. You know, mm -hmm. I felt, I felt I went in there with my eyes shut and woke up into a whole new world. And that's why, you know, I'm personally so passionate about this because I believe if every organization did that and did it as well as that. And, and granted, there's flaws in everything, right? Like no, no, exactly. no program is ever going to be perfect ever in anything. And you know that from you know, being in higher ed, like there's just, there's no perfection in all of this, but it was done so well. And, and I, my life wasn't the only one changed, right? I got to see then, then becoming a facilitator of it. I got to see other people's lives change. And so if every organization took on that responsibility, our world would change. Like yes. I get chills thinking about it because it's just like our entire world would change. And I, I, I say this and I, and I mean it that I do feel it's organization's responsibility to reparent that a lot of us grow up, you know, we, we grow up in a certain area around certain people. And we, that's, that's why bias forms. It's, it's a total, not totally naturally thing, but that's why we have these biases and it's organization's responsibility to uncrack that and to exactly. open that up and to peel that onion back and say, yes, you have this experience, but Lynn has this experience, exactly. you know, and Zamana has this experience. And that's why we show up the way that we do. And how can we, how can we learn from each other's experiences? So I just, I feel so strongly about it because I believe our whole world could change, but to your point, it's just a lot of companies just try to check the box and, and think that awareness is what will, what will do something. And so like, you know, it, why it lead, leads me to my next question of like, why do you think so many L and D teams resort to this one and done, you know, one hour diversity training, you know, I, I was talking about this too, that, you know, I've been part of organizations where there were eight month long leadership development programs and there's six month onboarding programs. But when it comes to DEI on your orientation day, you take an hour e-learning on diversity and it's never spoken of again. So like, why, why is that the choice that 
these teams make or organizations make? Sarah, the answer is simple. It's easy. Mm -hmm. It's not a whole lot of work into it, right? It's checking the box. We've already said it's checking the box. It's as long as I can see or show that I, I'm doing it, that I, that I have the employee resource group, that I gave this survey, that I, they had this hour long uh, training, they had it, right? You know, and it's, it's just easy for them to do. And so I think this is why companies resort to doing it. But it's another, uh, another thing is nobody wants to take, nobody wants to take the DEI initiative on. Nobody wants to, you know, the question is, whose responsibility is DE&I? Is it HR? Is it L&D? Is it just leadership, right? So nobody wants to take it on and nobody wants to commit, Sarah. You know, I was actually kind of torn on this question because with, with so much that I have learned over the years and the case studies that I've read and the companies that I've been involved with, nobody makes DEI a long-term initiative. It's always the let's do it in the season, right? Um, like what 2020 sparked, let's do it in the season. Almost kind of like the Me Too movement when that all, me Too came out and now everybody got to have a sexual harassment class. Please tell me since then, and, and sometimes I kind of get carried away, people that's listening, I apologize. <laughs> sometimes I have to revert, you know, a little bit and I might not speak as eloquently, you know. Do as, you? No, this I is could. a 100% authentic right. podcast. <laughs> but let's be honest. We had that sexual harassment training and we haven't had anything since because it was done for what? In the moment, in the now, because the spotlight is on it. So I want companies, that's why I'm passionate too, Sarah, is because I want companies to see that, hey, it's more than just, now the spotlight is on it, let us do something about it. It's, it's what works for Starbucks is not gonna work for every company. What works for Zoom is not gonna work for every company, right? Every company is different, but one thing that should transcend all companies and that it is a long-term initiative that is sustainable, that's cross-functional, meaning everybody is involved. DE&I must be embraced by the entire organization. There has to be commitment, Sarah. There has to be follow through. It cannot just be another mandatory HR initiative. And when it's seen as that, it's just going to be the checking of the box. And let's get this, um, let's have this already created um, uh, one hour e-learning that you're going to get. I cringe when I see, and there's so many out there. Oh, yeah. There's so many out there. And it's just not going to work. This is why we. This is why we keep failing. This is why DEI is so. Um, this is why we have a difficult time in progressing in our world. I just hate to say it, but that's just what it is. You know, yeah. people are afraid, Sarah, to have crucial conversations. You've mentioned it. I've mentioned it a minute ago. In this world of DEI, you can't be afraid. You know. 
there's a lot of benefits that come from having diverse workforces and we need to understand that and we need to implement that in our workforces and let L&D help you do that. It's so true. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I, I cringe at it also. And you think about it, I remember you know, when George Floyd was murdered and the organization I was at at the time, one of the VPs was like, okay, everybody watch the, everyone watch the diversity training again. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. No, it's, it's, it's laughable. That's why, wow. you know, and, and I think back to, you know, and this is getting, getting deep, but you know, police officers watch that, those same trainings and here we, and here we are, right? Like yeah. here we are, that, that didn't, that did not stop George Floyd from getting murdered. So what do you think is going to happen here by playing that same type of video? And so it, it infuriates me in that sense where it's, it is to check the box. It is, like you said, to not be put out on front street, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I did it. You know, and same thing, even if you look in June with everyone changing their logos to be rainbow and you know, there's a lot of backlash in that. And I, and I see it. Okay. Yes. You want to show support. And I think organizations are like, okay, well, if I don't make my logo rainbow, are they going to think, you know, I'm anti LGBTQIA community? Like, you know, it's, there's a lot there, but a lot of people say, well, my company made their logo rainbow. They've done nothing to help me, exactly. you know, as, as an employee within the organization. And so it's just, is it genuine? You know, That's that. Is it genuine? genuine? Is it genuine? Exactly. Yeah. And something I wanted to say real quick, Sarah, is that, you know, because you mentioned the George Floyd and the police officers, I know for a fact that the sheriff, the prison system has correctional officers, sheriffs, whatever, they all go to training and they all were assigned. And this is in the local area and I'm not gonna say who, but this is how these things are not being looked upon as being serious. They had diversity, equity and inclusion training. I'm throwing up my air quotes again. And the person sitting in it said, to, said all we did they played the video and we just sat and talked. Nobody didn't even look at the video. Mm -hmm. These are your correctional officers. These are your police officers. These are, so again, it's just checking the box. Nobody's holding people accountable for ensuring that their people's behaviors change. Yep. I had um, a colleague of mine when George Floyd got murdered, she went to, to another vice president and said, you know, we need to talk about this as, as from a company, we need to, you know, we, like, we really, we need, to, we, we, now is the time, like we can make the choice now to, to be essentially on the right side of history, but to do the right thing, period. And he said to her, and I, I, this is in my article that I wrote, he said to her, no, 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 we don't need that. Like we, we, we took diverse, like we took diversity training and she looked at him and she said, okay, what was in it? And he said, um, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. So like in that, when she said that to me, I mean, my blood was, was boiling now thinking about it, but like here, here we are in, in this moment of time and you're saying, I, I checked the box, but you can't even remember one thing from it. So it just, again, and I think you mentioned it too, of like where this type of work needs to be embedded in all aspects all assets and aspects of an organization. And I personally believe, and I wonder what your thoughts are, and 
it has to be embraced from the top. Yeah. And that like the, in the organization I worked for many years ago, where I started my DEI journey, this, this was brought on by a white man in his seventies. He said, mm-hmm. we have, he looked we have people who work with this organization from 50 plus countries. Like we need to be doing more around this. And, you know, 10 years ago, it, it, it's almost, it's, it's sad to say it was before the time it's time, but mm-hmm. There wasn't a, you know, a social unrest movement in that particular moment. It was just saying to taking, taking inventory and saying, wow, like we are a very diverse company that is growing very rapidly and, and, and had black women in leadership. Like it was very much like a company where you, everyone looked around and saw someone who looked like them in a position of leadership. And so to be able to say, but we can still do better, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that to me, I, I look at that as, as the key, you know, when the owner of that company and the founder says, you know, this is our company and we can do better. You look at it and you say, okay, you know, we're on board, but I work for companies where the heads of the companies close their eyes. Well, that's my ears, but you know, <laughs> you know, close their eyes, close their ears. You know, they don't want to hear about it. Um, and that absolutely trickles down. That's why you have those VPs who say, I already watched it. Like, we don't need to talk about this. I, you know, we, we have that exists. Exactly. So it's just, I see so much hope. Like I do see that, you know, there was a, a, a social movement around this. And then I also see so much work that needs to be done. Like how do, this is not on the list. But like, how do you keep going in that sense? Like if this is like this being such a huge part of your, what you do for a living, like how do you keep going? Oh wow, Sarah, it's crazy because I think in one of my my one of my answers for today is the fact that this type of work is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Because you have so many people who do not understand the urgency of something like this. Um it is going to be at times where nobody's going to be on your team. Nobody's going to want to push this movement with you and you you have to keep going it, it but it, it comes from within I think if if you have the passion and the heart to help and to want to make change that is what you use to keep pushing you forward because every company is not going to agree with you um, every some companies are going to close the door and be like uh, no we really don't need that you know we really want to just stick to the checking of the box but every now and then you're going to get that company that's going to be, you know what, Lynn, how can come in? We need this. We need help. And that's what we do to, to, to help push forward. A friend of mine who is a, um, who is a DEI um, executive on the, on, in the public sector, she was hired in as a DEI um, executive for the city and she said, you know, Lynn, I've wanted to quit so many times. She said, because even in this, people just don't, you, you know, you bring all this information to them, you bring all the research to them and you show them and they're still like, eh, putting up roadblocks, right? But she said, I can't do it. I got to keep going because if I don't keep going, change will never happen. And we just have to keep pushing. Yeah. So when you think about 
L and D. And I feel like we've kind of already touched on this. So you can kind of reiterate anything, Mm -hmm. but like you think about L and D and how often L and D is tasked with things like we need diversity training. Um, and maybe there is no DEI initiative or DEI person, even within the organization who solely focuses on that. What is your advice to L and D teams who are tasked with creating that DEI training? What's your advice to make sure that it's actually meaningful? And then on the flip side, well, let's let you answer that. And then I'll kind of ask the flip side question of that. Well, I really think that um, anytime that L&D is tasked with doing something in reference to uh, DEI, and it really goes back to something that you said a minute ago, Sarah, is that um, it has to start from, start from the top, right? And if the executive team understands the importance of DEI, and there are goals and strategies that are built around it, then L&D can use that, right? And make sure that their training is aligned with what companies already have in place. Now, unfortunately, there are times when that's not going to be there. So L&D has to take the the um, uh, initiative to consider all of the ways that they can, that they can identify le- the learning needs in their organization in respect to you know DEI. They have to think about the learning decisions that they make. You know um, what decisions is, is the decisions that they're making. Do they have their audience in mind? You know, are the voices being amplified as we discussed a minute ago? Um, you know, most importantly, when I think about this you know, does, does under knowing, well, let me say it like this, does your team, does your team, and we're talking about L&D, whether that's a couple people, whether that's 20 people, does your team know what DEI means and how it really relates, relates to the organization? You know, if they don't understand how can they develop plans or how can they develop programs that's going to teach somebody else? Because again, if we go back to what you said, Sarah, you took the experience that you had and you used that. So when you started developing programs, you made sure that your programs were inclusive. That's because now you had a better understanding, right, of what it actually meant, right? And so just making sure that, you know, some simple things that can be done, making sure that when you do management and leadership training, include DEI. See, some companies miss that. You know, we're always training and developing our leaders, always. Well, throw some DEI in there, you know. Slide it on in. Slide it on in, (laughs) you know, to make sure that they're getting what they need. And and stop doing the, 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 become more modern with your DEI training, right? Talk about things that are typically not talked about, like racial instances, like ethnic ethnicity, diversity, what all of those things actually mean. Have discussions around racism. Nobody wants to talk about racism. We'll talk about unconscious biases all day. We'll talk about microaggressions all day, but we will not talk about racism. And racism, why do you think why do you think that is? Because the uncomfortability of it? Yeah. Because people have to people have to look in the mirror and face the fact yes. that. We're all on a scale of racism somewhere. Listen, training and development done correctly, Sarah, is that mirror, right? Allowing people, managers to reflect on who they are. 
allow them to tackle difficult topics like racism. See, I, now I have to I have to look at it in its face. The mirror is right here. Okay, Lynn, you know, it's and then it people need to realize it's both ways. It's not I, I it's not always white people. It's not and I think I hate to say it, but I think uh white people get the the bad end of the state all the time. So this is why a lot of white people are reluctant to do any type of diversity training because they feel like they'll be made the villain. Right? So we have to get creative as L&D professionals to, to figure out ways to make it inclusive for all, for everyone. So on the flip side of that, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about L&D being tasked. Now, what about like DE&I being tasked with facilitating these learning experiences? Like what advice do you have? Like, let's say that there is a a, a DEI professional who's responsible for facilitating these, these type of conversations and learning experiences, what is your advice to them? Or is it the same? <laughs> I would say it's somewhat the same, but I would say that for a DEI professional coming in, if this is your role, be authentic. Um, I think, uh, uh, a major hindrance of DEI professionals is that they're not authentic um, in how they- what do, you mean, what do you mean by that? I think they're too safe. Got it, okay. You know, I, I think they're too safe in the fact that they're, even the, I think if I go back to something I said a minute ago that being in DEI, it's not for the faint of heart. These, these type of professionals, when, when they come in, they have to be able to, to, how can I say it? Be the one to tell the company just like it is. Stand firm on what's going on and using that um, to, using that information to just, just spearhead any type of training that they have to facilitate. I think that any, any, you know, Sarah, I don't know. I just think that, that, and when you asked me that question earlier, I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that is really a hard question. How I approach it when I come in, see, I'm, I'll be coming in from the outside, right? Coming in and it's already ingrained in what I do. When I come in, I'm from the outside. So I don't, I don't care how you look at me, right? I don't care how you judge me, right? I'm coming in my true authentic self. And I am going to give you everything that you need um, in order for change to happen. Um, I think DEI professionals that are actually in the workplace that have to facilitate these type of programs, all I could say is, be authentic, work with your partners, work with L&D, bring everybody in with you. And, and sometimes it's even okay to bring somebody from the outside. I'm, I always wanna make sure that people, that organization, the people that they choose to be their DEI representative, whether it's their DEI professional, that they know what they're talking about. 
you know, that they, that they really oh, yeah. know what they're talking about, that they've had experiences, that you're not just getting someone who could say, yeah, I just learned about it educationally, you know, but, but what are your experiences? How can you connect with our employees? How do you connect with the leadership team? Can you bridge the gap? You know, there's, there's just so many ways that you can approach it. And I'm sure I didn't answer that question to the best. No, you, uh, no, you um, totally did. It reminds me too of what you said earlier. And we were talking about like higher education of like that. Yes, you can know the theories of it, but like, it's the application piece of it. And like the, mm-hmm. the application piece of this is really important to have, to have experience in and have under your belt. So it just reminded me of, of what you said earlier and, you know, thinking about like best practices for this. And again, something kind of talked about like earlier, um, that wasn't necessarily on our, our initial list, but like what, how, how can, whether it's an L and D professional, a DEI professional, how can they create a safe space? So when these conversations are happening, people are comfortable sharing or how do you create a safe space? I mean, you can maybe talk specifics about you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think creating a safe space kind of just begins with going back to something that I just said, being authentic, giving of your own experiences, right? That's why it's so important that the people that you choose to come in and facilitate these type of programs are people that can speak to experiences that they've had. Um, it's, it's okay. I, I think a lot of companies use people that they have in-house which is good. I'm not taking away from using your L&D professional to give training. I'm, I, don't, I don't have a problem with using your DEI professional to give training, but let's be honest, Sarah, these people work with these people, right? I don't know a better way to say it. So a lot of companies need to tap into someone from the outside someone who is not biased to the organization, someone who can create that space to where I feel comfortable talking to you because I know you're not going to judge me because you really don't know me, right? I know that you're not going to, um, I know that if you're taking information from me, that you're using it to better the organization because that's why they brought you here. It's not an HR rep that's coming in and doing training because you know what? We don't even like HR. Let's just, I'm just being honest, right? We don't even like HR. So how are you going to come in here and teach me, you know, about diversity, equity, and inclusion when you're never, when you're not being fair anyway. And, and so many people, um, and that's just how people feel. So I just think that it's important that um, whoever is facilitating these type of discussions, that they are authentic, that they are using their personal experiences, and they use that to cultivate conversations that where people can, uh, can be able to be true to saying exactly how they feel. But it's not just about creating a safe space, Sarah. It's also, to me, it's about mastering getting the best out of people. And that's a skill, right? That's a skill. You, you, you have to be able, yeah, you can create the safe space all you want, right? But are you going to get people to talk to you? How do you pull that information out in order to get the information you need to make real change? 
And who's ever doing that, who's ever facilitating that, they need to be skilled in that area. That's just the way that I look at it. And so a part of what I do is knowing what questions to ask, knowing how to diffuse conversations, you know, that could escalate in these type of in uh, in these type of spaces. Um, but it can be hard, you know, it can be hard to do and you just you just have to make sure that you one that can actually just be authentic. Again, I hope that answered your question, but yeah. I, I think it truly it, no, it, it totally to totally does. And I think it, it goes into what you're saying too, that it's not for the faint of heart and that there's these are difficult conversations and knowing how to diffuse them. Like that was a huge learning lesson for me. I mean, I sat through a dozen of these types of conversations before I then even started co-facilitating them. Mm-hmm. Like, and we always co-facilitated for that reason and made sure that we, we actually had three co-facilitators because we, the, that all came from different backgrounds that had diver, diversity, but also diverse thoughts and diverse experiences. And, um, it took me a while. To, I mean, it's, it's that never ends, right? You never, you never are perfect at diffusing. It's a constant evolution because when you have these types of conversations, things get brought up and we're constantly learning and evolving too. And so I just, I I think it just goes back to what you're saying. If it's not for the faint of heart, that there's a lot to learn. And it kind of leads me to my, to my last big question that I'll ask you, which is what Mm -hmm. advice do you have for anyone looking to get into L and D or DEI, you know, work for the first time? (laughs) Well, it might, it it might sound like a cliche, but I would say you have to you have to love helping people become better at what they do. That's yeah. where it all begins. If you, I, I, I tell my HR students, the first thing I tell them, HR is about people. And if you don't love people, you need to leave the class right now because HR is all about helping people. And I believe that L&D, DE&I, it's the same. You want to help people be better at what they do. And if that is something that you don't want to do, then you might want to reconsider that type of uh, role. You know, oftentimes, you know, when I think about uh, L&D professionals, you hear it all the time. And I think we talked about this um, when we talked originally. I just kind of fell into the love of this, you know, by accident, right? I was seen as the go-to person, you know, when I was in in corporate and I used that opportunity to say, hey, let me train, let me be the one that, you know, that, that can actually take this information that I have and be able to impart that in somebody else. And so I became, it wasn't a part of my job duties, but I sought ways to use my current position to help others because it was already in me right it was already in me to help others so I used that and so um I think that try to find ways in your current position to be able to utilize what you already have um I think uh also looking at the the skills that's required right um of whatever job that you're seeking for when it when it comes to you know L&D always think of your skills how they match with what the employer is looking for and then use them to try to land, you know, try to land your first official, right, L&D position. You don't have to be an L&D to be a trainer or to be someone who helps 
people learn and develop. You do not have to be. Use what you have. And if you want that official position, then take experiences that you've had and say, hey, I might not have had an L&D role, but this is what I did in the role that I, that I was in, right? Use that to springboard you into L&D. And you know, when I think about DNI, same thing, just kind of happened by accident. Most people choose, choose DNI because their passion for the cause, right? There, you said it yourself, that day changed my life, right? I took on a totally different view of this diversity, equity, and inclusion. And now I'm going to take that and I'm going to help other people. But again, it's not for the faint of heart. So you have to be able to, um, to be able to handle that type of role throughout my corporate experience, my, my higher education experience. I've experienced so much inequality as a Black woman, I'm telling you. Sarah, again, I'm not saying I was the best thing since sliced bread, but I did everything the company told me to do. I went through every training. I did every, I had every leadership position as far as um, take a role in the employee resources group, do this, do that, get the degree. I did all of those things, but when it came to true advancement, it never happened. Never happened. And so I took all of that. I took all of those experiences and that's why I do what I do. So when it comes to DNI, yeah, go out, get the train. Cause with DNI, you need to know it, right? You need, you yep. need to know what it, what it is, what it stands for and how you can use it to help a company, how you can use it to help a company strategize, to, to do what they need to do in order to be successful, to retain their people, to make their company culture more inclusive so on and so forth. You need that. You need that certification. You need that training in order to do that. So, um, but D DEI professionals are unafraid and unapologetic. That's what I we love are. That. I love that. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, what you just said was too, that like, just because you're not officially in L and D doesn't mean you're not, you can't train people. And it reminds me last night, I had, um, a, a group coaching call with my group coaching clients. And one of the things I have them do is this skills worksheet. And one of them came back and said, Oh my gosh, I've been in L and D like I am L and D, you know, and it helped overcome that imposter syndrome, but you know, there's so many trans transferable skills. And I just love how you, how you mentioned that that you might already even be doing this job. Exactly. Um, so just really capitalizing on that. So speaking of learning, what are you currently learning right now? Sarah, you know, I've already said I'm a lifelong learner, mm -hmm. but now I'm learning to write a book. I am writing my first book. Um, well, you can teach me. That's like, that's next <laughs> on my list for me. I have like all these ideas, but I have no idea where to start. So I will come right. to you after you are a published New York Times bestselling author. Yes. And I will help you. I promise. So the process of writing a book is a whole, I've written a dissertation, 150 page dissertation. I've done, re, I've done, writing a book is nothing like that. So I am a learning, learning, learning how to do it. And it's so different, but I love it. Uh, you know, becoming a writer, I can combine my three favorite topics, HR, training, and DNI. And I'm not going to tell you how I'm doing it, what I'm specifically doing, but you'll be able to see how I was able to tie all of those things together. When you buy her book. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes. I love that. Oh, Lynn, this was so wonderful. I mean, I just, I feel like we could talk for days on yeah. end and there's so much more we can unpack here, but I think this people are going to hear this and just have, have more of a, a knowledge and a, and a understanding, a deeper awareness too, of what it means to be an LND and DEI and how they can, how they intersect and why they need to intersect. So your knowledge has just been like invaluable that you've given. And I, I cannot wait for the world to, to hear this. And I know once they do, they're going to want to know where to find you, how to connect with you, how to you know, use you and, and hire you. Um, so where can people connect with you and find you? Well, they can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, that is probably an easy way to connect with me. I know you and I connected that way. Um, I'm trying to increase my social media presence. Listen, that's one of my goals. I am not the best at it. I need to hire somebody for me to be more active on social media. But you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. You can go to my website, which is www.triumphant hrsolutions.com. You can reach out to me there. All my contact information is there. You can actually also see the programs that I already um, offer for companies and um, see any way that I can help. I'm interested in helping, whether it's HR departments, whether it's L&D, and any capacity that you need, I am here. Um, I'm here. You just, just reach out to me and I'm available. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I feel like there'll be more episodes for us to unpack even more. Um, but thank you again for taking this time. I know we like, we were just talking so much. We didn't even realize we went you know, over our uh, quote unquote allotted time, but it was so worth it. And I, I just can't wait for everyone to listen to this. So thank you so much for, for being on the show. No, thank you, Sarah. This has been invaluable to me as well. And I look forward to working with you in the future. And when I write that book and become published, you'll be the first one that I come on and talk about. Yes. All right. you, all heard it. you all heard it here first. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. <laughs> You're welcome. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If it resonated with you in any way, please let me know by subscribing, liking, and leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools as well as what you want to hear more of. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, send me a DM or email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.